This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Amen, amen, church. You can be seated. How many people are excited to be in the house of God today? Come on, you can do better than that. How many people are excited? That's good. I want to welcome those online, um, not to expose HIPAA, but I know there's a lot of people, uh, not to expose HIPAA, not to break HIPAA. I know there's a lot of people in our church right now that are fighting um, different sickness and stuff like that, and so I know there's people watching online, but I want to say thank you for showing up today, and thank you for making this a priority. Um, I believe that God wants to move in your heart, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't feel like coming to church. Does anyone, like, be honest, I just don't feel like coming to church and the older I've gotten, the more I realize that's my stoic and stale heart that's, that's deterring me from stepping in and hearing something from God. And so I want to challenge you today to really step beyond what you may be feeling right now in this moment, whether that's online, whether it's a circumstance that you're facing, whatever it is. And let's press in today. I believe that God has something to say to you. Amen? Amen? Come on, people. I'm challenging you. You want me to just come out there and spit in your face? I'm just kidding. Um, I'll get real serious. Not like actually spit like I hate you, like just because I'm so passionate. Dude, this is going real south really fast. Anyway, Pastor Kevin, you should come back quick. No, just kidding. Anyway, I'm, I'm excited for today, and real quick before we jump in, I want to just give you a couple reminders. Last week, we announced that our South Campus will be closed for the month of May, so today is our last gathering at South Campus, 11 a.m. service for the month of May. We'll be taking place here at East Campus, and the reason that is is because we're upgrading and remodeling some things at our South Campus, which is super exciting, so put your hands together for that. That's awesome. Um, I would encourage you, we are dismissing small groups. We're supposed to be having small groups. We're actually dismissing those because many of the people helping in this project um, would be at small groups, and we also want to give opportunity for those who um, are not helping the project. If they want to help in the project, we want to make that available because Wednesday night is an amazing night to have people come help serve. So if you are interested in that, I would encourage you to reach out to the office or Pastor David Charles Sasser. He'll probably get you to do something super fun, right? He's like, yeah, I'm just, it's going to be awesome. Anyway, and then with that being said, too, I want to echo um, Pastor Kevin's thoughts and thank you for the support. Um, um, I've, uh, as a pastor, I've seen a lot of different pastors respond to different life circumstances in certain ways, and I've seen how communities have gathered around them, um, one of which is like Ed Young, Pastor Ed Young in Texas. Recently, his daughter passed away, and just seeing how their church handled it, handled it. other pastors, some pastors have committed suicide, and their church has stepped in and surrounded that family, and I believe our community has surrounded this family in this way um, to say, we love you and we care for you, so thank you for that support. Thank you for that support. Um, we were not expecting it to be a long, drawn-out journey, but it's going to be, and we're happy to be walking with with it. Ha- well, hell, happy to be walking it with you. So anyway, does anyone else not, not know how to talk? Because that's how I'm feeling right now. Anyway, I'm excited for today's message, and I'm going to be honest. Um, I've preached, I don't know, not that many times. I'm pretty young. Still got a lot of experience. Last week, Larry crushed it if you weren't here. But I, I'll be honest, the anxiety I've felt over this message has been very extreme, and I can list off a min- many reasons why. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not being sarcastic, like sleepless nights, I, I have had so much trouble getting onto paper this word. And so I'm hoping that that's because the devil's trying to defeat me and not that I have overcomplicated this so much. So I just pray that today, that at the end of this, you would be reminded, my number one goal is that you would be reminded and challenged as you walk out of here, that you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even though we're living in a day and age where it feels like fact and feeling are supreme over faith, that is not true, okay? 
okay? So that's my goal today. Anyway, the title of my message is How Should We Respond to Life's Hardest Circumstances? How should we respond to life's hardest circumstances? Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, how should I respond to life's hardest circumstances? And then the person that just asked you that, turn to them and say, just give up. It's not worth trying. Just messing, just messing. That's not the thesis of my message, but sometimes you just need to be told that, right? Anyway, today I want to answer this question by looking at a famous and well-known story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you're here in August, you realize that I had quite quite a big amount of bitterness towards my Sunday school teachers for making me think that it was Abednego, not Abednego. So anyway, that was a big thing that I've been working through over the last six months. So hopefully I don't say Abednego um, and I say Abednego. So okay, here we go. Am I making sense to anyone? Okay, I'm just, I'm just checking because I don't know what's happening. Okay, anyway, I want to read a passage of scripture that we all know of these three men that withstood extremely difficult circumstances. And oftentimes we look at this story and we see the power of God's deliverance. See, we see the overwhelming circumstance and we see God's deliverance. And this is like one of those faith stories you get up after worship and you like get the house to shout you down because you're like, God will deliver you from the fire, right? Like, and we're all like, let's go. And like, you guys obviously are not excited about it. Anyway, but you, you look at this story, but I think what's even more important about this story is the responses that they had leading up to God's deliverance. And I want to look at their responses today because I don't know if you're facing something right now or if you're going to face something in the future. But regardless, you need to know how to respond to life's most difficult circumstances. So we're going to read this story. And real quick, I want to give you just some context. So backing way up to the book of Genesis, Abraham, right? There's this guy named Abraham. God comes to him and says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a chosen nation. I'm going to take you to this promised land. But he says, before all this happens, you're going to find yourselves in a foreign land um, that is going to enslave you for 400 years. How many people know the story of the Israelites, right? God says, I will deliver you from there, which he does then do. He raises up Moses. He takes him out and starts leading them to the words of the promised land, right? This is an amazing story. But what I want you to recognize is the Old Testament is very big, and if you don't understand how it all flows together, you lose the power of a story like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? So here's what happens. They are headed towards the promised land, and they sin. They fall short. They make a mistake. And because of that, they didn't trust God to actually lead them into the promised land. So they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. After the 40 years gets passed, they end up coming to the Jordan River, which we learned about last week. If you're here again, Larry did an amazing job. They cross over the river, and they find themselves in the promised land. And here's what you need to know. I'm not going to unpack the rest of that, but here's what you need to know. God basically came and said, hey, if you obey me, you will stay in this land. If you continue to worship me and put your heart um, and give you my heart, if you give me your heart, then I will leave you in this land. If not, I will allow people to come in and take you out of this land. Wouldn't you know, humans are foolish and stupid a lot of the times, and so they end up failing, and after grace, grace opportunity, and grace opportunity, finally God allows the nation of Babylon to come in and take over part of this promised land, okay? And when Babylon does that, they pull out exiles. I think I remember reading it was like 10,000 exiles. I could totally be wrong. But all you need to know is that four of these exiles end up going to the nation of Babylon and becoming leaders in that nation, and God uses them in that position from his favor to stand up against the nation and to in turn show us how to live through some of the most uh, unpredictable, unprecedented circumstances of all time. 
And so today, I want to look at one of those stories. See, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been taken from their home nation, and they are put in the nation of Babylon, and they are um, leaders in this nation, and they find themselves in a ridiculous circumstance where King, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, decides to make a 90-foot statue of himself. How many people are like, that's a little bit extreme, like the guy's got some issues, right? Um, and I, actually, now I think about it, I don't know if this was a statue of himself or just a statue, but the, the Bible says that it was a statue made of gold. So 90 feet tall, I think. I think that's about an eight-story building. Just to put that in context, that is huge, okay? Nebuchadnezzar then says, if you do not bow down and worship this, this statue when I say to, you will then be thrown into a blazing furnace, okay? So Daniel, Shadrach, or not Daniel, sorry, Daniel's gone at this point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they decide to stand up and go, we're not going to bow. We're not going to do this, okay? And that's where we pick up in our story. So verses 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Um, So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, not the zipper, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship this image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to the king, and like we're going to talk about this in a second, but this is like inhuman, okay? They're like robotic. Like this is, too, this is too good of a response, right? I'd be freaking out inside. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So just to summarize this, because we know the rest of the story probably, right? Nebuchadnezzar gets ticked off even more so than he was. He orders the fire to be heated even stronger. He ties up these men, um, has his soldiers throw them into the fire, and it actually says the fire was so hot it killed the soldiers that took them and dropped them in the fire. And then next thing you know, they see a fourth person in the fire, which a lot of people believe is like a form of Jesus in some sense or um, in resemblance of that. And then these men come outside of the fire because King, King Nebuchadnezzar is shocked that they haven't died. They walk out of the fire un- untouched by um, the fire. Their clothes are com- in complete perfect condition. How many people have heard the end of the story, okay? So again, today I don't want to focus on the deliverance. I want to focus on the response in the middle of the circumstance. And so that's what I really want to answer. How should we respond to life's hardest circumstances? Would you pray with me real quick? God, I just thank you today for the opportunity to speak. God, I echo the words of Paul, God, in Ephesians where he says, God, I pray that, my, that words would be given to me that would make me fearless and boldness to declare the mysteries of this gospel. And I just pray, God, that you would help whatever's going on to make sense, God. I pray that this would apply to people's situations, God, and you would just move. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. So I was um, prepping for this message. I was thinking about it, and I decided that there's actually like three stages in every, every, every person's life, okay? Three stages. Stage number one is the toddler why stage, okay? All the parents, grandparents, people that have babysat, babysat kids, like you know this stage, right? Like why? Why do I have to do this? Why is the sky blue? Because God made it blue. Why did he make it blue? He didn't want to make it red because red represents evil. Why does red represent evil? I don't know. It just feels like representing evil. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a never-ending thing. And in this stage of life, the kids are like, they're just, they're, they're curious about everything. And it's a, great, it's a great thing, right? You want your kids to understand life. They're seeking life. But after this stage, we all get to the teen and young adult stage of knowing it all, right? And how many people are like, if you've raised a teenager, you're like, amen, I know what you are talking about right now. 
Um, see, what happens in this stage, and we all go through it, at this point in time, we go, I can parent better than my parents are parenting. I can be married better than my parents are married. I can make better decisions than my parents are making. And ultimately, I can live the best life ever because I know it all. And I'm being sarcastic, but to a degree, you totally have been in those shoes. You're like, what is happening? Like, they're making terrible decisions. Like, I know way better, okay? And this is what your parents are thinking. This is stage three, and this is the stage we all end up in until the day we die. And that's the adult law. Lord, help me, all right? That is when you wake up to the cold, hard reality that life is way harder than you thought. You aren't going to reach the dreams that you thought you were going to reach, right? Decisions are super hard to make. Like, parenting sucks. Being married is the hardest thing you've ever thought like you'd embrace. It's not like Frozen where it says love is an open door. Like, no. Love is a shut door. This is a hard thing to do, okay? And then you sit there and you go, I wish I was back where someone was making decisions for me. Anyone say amen? I was literally, I was literally on a walk yesterday, and I'm literally going like, I'm thinking about, this is like super stupid, but I'm thinking about what I need to do to my backyard. Right now we're in the process of getting concrete poured and everything, and I'm like, dude, there's so many decisions to be made about this, and I don't want to make them. Like, can someone just tell me what the best decision is and make it happen? Like, I'm tired of making decisions. Anyone else feel like that ever? Okay. So the reason I bring all this up today is because I want you to come back to the fact and the realization that as a child, yeah, you may stop asking why in such an annoying way, right? It's cute but annoying, right? We ask why for everything. But you never stop asking why entirely. See, somewhere we, we recognize kids grow out of this curiosity stage, but as humans, we never stop asking why. In matter of fact, we never stop asking why, and the questions of why that we start asking are harder or even impossible to answer, right? And if you're like me, you end up waking up one day and going, I have way less answers and way more questions than I thought that I did. See, because our questions stop becoming, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? And they become more serious things like, why does the child die unexpectedly from a brain tumor? Why would a person that is inherently good be diagnosed with an incurable disease that will lead to their death? Why do hurricanes and natural disasters wipe out entire towns and kill thousands of people? Why is there so much hate and division in our country right now? And really, all these questions boil down, whether you're an atheist or not, they come down to questioning God. If God is so loving and good, why does he allow so much bad to happen? If God is in control, why doesn't he take control more and stop these things from happening? And to be honest, these questions have been more prevalent in my mind in the last couple months and over the last 18 months, probably this last year and a half, than at any point in my entire life. And today I, want, I, today I hopefully want to give you some peace and, and some semblance of an answer, but I know that this answer is not going to satisfy you to a degree, so I'm just stating that on the forefront. But what I'm trying to dig at and get to the heart of is that every human is asking why. And if you don't believe me, I was looking at the Google search trends. I don't know if you know what those are. Every year, Google goes, what have people searched on Google this entire year? And they put out a search trend. And in these search trends, for 2020, they, they said, here's what people search the most. Here's who people search the most. Here's like the questions, the how-to questions they ask the most, the why questions they ask the most. And in this video, or in this, in this trends, they attached a video to it. Super powerful video, and because of copyright and us live streaming, I cannot play it for you today. Encourage you to go watch it. But I want to read you a couple lines just to show you what I'm talking about, okay? So the description of the video says this. In times of uncertainty, people seek understanding and meeting, right? When it doesn't make sense, like why COVID? Why is this happening? The video opens up with this line. The most human trait is to want to know why. 
And in a year that tested everyone around the world, why was searched more than ever? And while we didn't find all the answers, we kept asking. And then the video goes on. Again, powerful video. I encourage you to go watch it. And it highlights so many things we face this year. Why, why school closures? Why COVID? Why all the racial injustice? It highlights the protesting. It hi- hi- highlights um, death. And it highlights um, people wondering why COVID is shutting everything down. It highlights Kobe Bryant's death, right? All these different things where we saw so much pain, especially as a nation, that we felt this pain. And then at the end of the video, it says, so until we get every answer, we're still searching. And then Google's slogan pops up on the screen, search on. And this video stuck out to me for two reasons. A, because I felt like someone put into words the feeling that I felt in my heart at, the moment, at this moment in my life. Why? And the second reason is because they are missing the mark on their final statement in so many ways. There, it says, and so until we can get every answer, we're still searching And the greatest realization of life is that it doesn't matter how much we search, we'll never have all the answers. And when I say answers, I'm not talking about Christian cliches, right? God is good. God will work all things together. There's pain in the world because of sin. Like, I'm not saying I don't believe these things, but when you're in the middle of a hard circumstance, these do not suffice or satisfy the craving and pain in your heart. They do not make the picture whole. And if you don't know what that's like, then I would say you probably haven't experienced pain. It's not that you don't have faith. It's that you're not recognizing that we live in a broken world and it doesn't make sense. In the words of my counselor last week, um, Allie and I had a counseling appointment scheduled for Thursday. Um, we were going to counseling just to work on my issues because I'm special. Allie's perfect. Let's just be honest. <laughs> You're going to hear that on May, May 9th. Um, it's not fair. Like, they put me up here to stumble through my words. Allie's going to get up and crush it. And you'll be like, why is Trent ever speaking? This doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so we were at counseling, and I brought up to the counselor. We, he just asked how we were doing. We just brought up, like, hey, like, we just found out my mom has cancer, and, like, this is going to be a really hard season going forward. We, I, me, personally, I don't have a lot of experience to pull from. This is going to be difficult to walk through as a family. And these are the words he said, and, like, as best as possible, because, like, again, I wasn't recording the conversation. But as soon as he started saying it, I, like, pulled a notepad out of my desk and wrote down the gist of what he said. He said this, it is hopeful that your mom will make it through this but it's disturbing that she has to go through it. Then he says, you can't ask why because there is no clear answer. And I was like, exactly. It's hopeful we'll make it through this life. It's hopeful that we'll make it on the other side of a hard circumstance, but it's disturbing the things that we have to actually face. And so today, I want to give you an answer, and I know it's not going to satisfy you, but you really have two options when you go, how do I respond to life's hardest circumstances? And these are your options. In the midst of life's hardest circumstances, you can spend your time trying to find the answer, or you can decide to bow down and to trust the one who has the answer. And I know, again, that's a Christian cliche, right? It's, it's preach it down, but in the moment, like, this is not going to feel right, but it's the only option you have. Isaiah tells us in, 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 in relaying God's words, my, my thoughts are higher, my ways are higher. And until we get to heaven, there will not be a whole picture of, of what we need to actually see to feel peace and comfort. And so I want to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want to give you three ways you should respond to life's hardest circumstances based on what they do, okay? Number one, and again, I always try to write my points where if if you write only my points, you will remember the sermon. So these are sentences, so don't judge me. Just write them down, okay? How should we respond to life's hardest circumstances? We should, number one, believe God's ability to save us is greater than the circumstance's ability to harm us. Think that through. We should believe that God's ability to save us is greater than the circumstance's ability to harm us. 
Oftentimes when we look at a story like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I keep saying Abednego. I haven't mentioned it, but it's irritating, okay? It's Abednego. I literally told myself I would not do this, okay? But thank you. Preach it. Let's go. Okay, anyway, um, oftentimes we look at stories like this and we just get too desensitized to what they are, right? We've heard the story a thousand times and we like, we're like, dude, I already know the climax. I know the characters. I know every application every preacher's ever preached. Like, I know God's going to save them. Like, woohoo, okay? But like, can you imagine if this like was like a Netflix show and it's like 2 a.m. and you are staying up, you're already way, like you've already stayed up way too late, you have to be at work at 7 a.m. tomorrow, and you end up watching this Netflix episode where the last scene is Nebuchadnezzar saying, bow or die, and then it pans to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's face, and like what would you do? Would you go to bed? No, you would stay up and be like, what happened? You know what I'm talking about? Don't, don't you act like I'm the only one that does that. Okay, I want you to picture, like this is life and death. They're facing life and death. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you have one of two options. You listen to me or you die. Like, I don't know about you, but the greatest thing that ultimately I fear in life is death, right? No one knows how it's going to happen. They don't want to feel what it's going to feel like. Death is scary. And so what's crazy about this story is like they're facing death. They don't know the ending even though we do. But more than the decision between life and death, they have to make another decision, And that decision is the decision between who they believe has the most power. Do they believe God has more power to save them or do they believe Nebuchadnezzar has more power to hurt them? And I want to put it in terms like this because you still might not be picking up the gist that I'm putting down, okay? Um, How many people like criminal, like criminal law shows? All right, during COVID, Allie and I watched a lot of criminal law shows and like as great as these shows are, they all have the same plot, right? Bad guy does bad thing. Good guys try to catch bad guy. Good guys catch bad guy. Happy ending until next bad guy comes, right? Like it's the same thing every time. You're like, this is great. Like it's the same story every time, okay? One of the most famous scenes in in, in all of these episodes is when they catch a suspect or someone um, that's involved in the case and they put them in an interrogation room, right? And like that can play out a number of different ways, but one of the most common ways is where they're like, dude, like you need to tell us like what your criminal boss or this person that's hurting you, you need to tell us what they're doing and how we can catch them, right? That's the gist of it. And in that moment, those people, whether again, it's a suspect or a witness, they have to go, do I believe the police have more power to save me or do I believe my criminal boss has more power to come and hurt me, right? Like he can even kill me in prison. Like do you have a safe house? Like you know what I'm talking about? Like in this moment, in that moment, if they choose to decide with the police, they're, they're declaring, whether like verbally or not, they're declaring they've mentally decided that, that the police are more powerful in that moment. If they don't talk, they've decided their boss is more powerful in that moment. You guys get what I'm saying? This is what I want you to understand. Every time you face a difficult circumstance, you make the same declaration. You stare at your circumstance, and in that moment, you go, I either trust that God is who he says he is, even if I don't feel like it, or I trust that this circumstance is going to overcome and defeat me. And this is why the Bible tells us to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. For the longest time growing up, I did not fully comprehend or understand this statement. When the, when the, the writers of the Bible are saying fear the Lord, they're not saying fear God to where you're, you're, you're terrified for your life, like where you like hide under your bed covers, like get underneath the bed, like you're scared, right? They're not saying this. They're saying fear the Lord because you recognize he's the only place of safety. It's not a fear that pushes you away from God. It's a fear that pushes you to God. That says, God, I can't make this without you. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were choosing. They were choosing to fear God. The definition of fear means an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, right? That's like the emotion that we face. Fear of God is a comforting realization caused by the belief that someone is in total control and is greater than anything you can face. 
See, God is not an option. He is the only option. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to step in and embrace that or not, when you face a hard circumstance, he's your only option. He is the best option, right? And this is why the writer of Proverbs, who um, is also the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, I don't have time to give context to that, but Solomon writes this, have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep you from your, um, your foot from being snared. He's saying don't have fear of sudden circumstances, sudden hard circumstances. Why? Because if you fear God, it doesn't matter. And here's what I want you to grasp. If you fear God, you fear nothing else because he's the ultimate. If you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Okay? So that's the first way we have to respond. We have to believe God has the ability to save more than the circumstances' ability to harm. The second thing tonight, or today, not tonight, I've been preaching at youth group too much, I guess, um, is that you need to opt out of your feelings and you need to opt in to your faith. See, because feelings can stop you from believing what I just told you. Feelings can go, no, the circumstance feels way greater than God in this moment. Faith is what allows you to believe that. And just real talk for a second, because this is kind of like a therapy session for me, and I, I could be putting myself on a limb here, and you guys think I'm on drugs or something. But how many people have been to the dentist, and the, the hygienist is like cleaning your teeth and moving the tool around, and your tongue is like out of control following that tool? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, I just like put myself out on a limb. In that moment, my brain is like, tongue, stop going and getting in the way. And like, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I am so sorry, person. Like, I don't have control over this thing. Like, it is just going, okay? And it's funny because like, in a weird way, this is how our feelings oftentimes hijack our life. See, because like, the tongue, no matter how much I try, it is like, in, in, in my mouth, it's like, no, I'm going to do what I feel. Like, I feel something over here. What is this? Right? Anyone know what I'm talking about, Okay. So, and what I want you to recognize is this is oftentimes how feelings hijack our lives. We can be walking through life, experiencing an amazing day, right? And all, you wake up on time, right? You got your morning coffee, maybe you even worked out or did something with, like, read your Bible, did something with Jesus. You're like, this is a great day. Then your tire gets flat or you get a ticket. Like, how many people have, like, been driving on the road in Salem recently and noticed, like, the flashing camera, like, give someone a ticket that ran the light? Anyone know what I'm about? Like, I keep noticing it, and it's PTSD because it's happened to me. So every time I see it, I, like, get super scared. And I'm, like, I'm, like, driving five miles an hour towards a green light, just, like, don't turn on me, don't turn on me. Like, anyway, like, in that moment, I'm literally thinking that person's life is now going to suck when they open their mailbox and realize they have a ticket waiting for them, right? This is what feelings do. They go from high to low immediately. See, and here's what I want you to recognize. God created us to have feelings. He didn't create us to obey them. He created us to have feelings, but not to obey them. There's a big difference. You were made with feelings. It makes you human, not a robot. It helps you assess situations. It gives you empathy so you can connect with people. But God did not say, I want you to follow whatever your emotions are telling you. The word obey means to comply with the command or direction of something, to submit to its authority. So when I say, I, um, when I say obey feelings, I mean you're allowing them to control what you're doing and why you're doing it, what you believe and why you believe it. And here's the issue, again, with feelings, is you will never feel in a circumstance, especially a bad circumstance, like doing the right thing. Like, how many people during COVID have felt like, for a second, like, rejecting Christianity and just blowing up on someone just because, like, your feelings can't handle the chaos anymore? Like, I'm not saying, like, full-on crazy, but you're like, at some point, you're like, God, I know you're good, but this is just ridiculous. Does anyone else ever feel like that? And in that moment, you have to, you have to push that feeling down. You have to go, no, I trust the God that I serve. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. 
They were choosing to opt out of their feelings and opt into faith. The word opt out means to choose not to be involved into, um, in something, and opt in means to choose to be involved in something. See, they were choosing, I'm not going to live by my feelings. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to live by faith. And one of the craziest things, like you're like, where do you see this in the story? I mentioned it when I was reading it earlier. One of the biggest things that's always stood out to me is they're, they're the ridiculously inhuman response in this situation. Like, they're like, they reply like, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. Like, we have nothing, we have nothing to explain to you. Like, we don't, we don't care what you do. At the end of the day, we know, we know who we serve and why we serve him. There's a complete calmness. You cannot convince me that they were not feeling other things, that they were, they were not actually feeling nervous or scared. And what I want you to recognize is in the Bible, there, it's never encouraged to walk by feelings. You see people walk with feelings, but they always overcome them with faith. I can list off a bunch of them today. Jesus in the garden. He's saying, God, not my will, but yours. He's sweating blood. That's his feelings. His feelings, his body is telling him complete anxiety. You are about to be tortured to death. Jesus still went and did it. You see Elisha and his servant wake up one morning and to see their, their city surrounded by an army that was coming to kill them specifically. And Elisha goes, God, open his eyes to see the army that's on the hill. That's your army. Again, faith over feeling. I can go over and over again. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Moses at the Red Sea. Over and over again. Esther going before the king. Faith over feeling. Opting out of, opting out of feeling, opting into faith. And this leads me to my third point today, which is how do you respond to life's hardest circumstances? You worship God because he's worthy no matter what the outcome. And this point is the point that answers your question to the, like the question that either you've, you're thinking of now or you've been thinking of or you'll think of later while I was talking about these other two points. And that's the question, like, Trenton, this is all fine and dandy, but, like, we know that God delivered them from the, out, like, from the circumstance. The outcome ended up good. I don't know that in my circumstance. So what should I do? You should worship God regardless of the outcome because he's worthy. Regardless because he's worthy. If I have any movie watchers here, I guarantee if I were to come up and be like, hey, what's your favorite movie or top, top couple favorite movies, and then ask you, hey, what's your favorite line from that movie, you'd be able to quote that line to me. Why? Because like, there's always in every story, like whether it's funny, cheesy, super serious, in the climax of the story or not, there's always a line that stands out above all else. Like when I think of the movie Gladiator, I just think like, are you not entertained, right? Like that's so epic. Like only like, like that is just like, you know what I mean? Like what else could you have said there? Like that was the perfect line, okay? If Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if this was a movie made of them, by far the line that would stand out to me the most would be the one where they say, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to stop and bow down. Daniel 3, 17 through 18, if we're thrown into this furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from it, your majesty. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And this line stands out to me for a number of reasons, but mainly because it's so gutsy and so bold, right? Like it begs the question, why on earth, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, would you worship a God that you don't even know if he will save your life? You know he's able to, but you have no idea if he actually will. What makes your God so worthy that you would die for him? See, because I can understand that this, this statement, a gutsy, bold, confident statement like this, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were guaranteed life, but again, they were not. 
And right now, we're living in a culture like cancel culture, right? How many people have heard the phrase cancel culture? That's where basically society withdraws support from a public figure or um, a company because that company does something they deem unworthy. And in this point, if culture was standing before the fire, I'm pretty sure they would cancel culture God and go, if he's not guaranteed to save me, he ain't worthy of my worship, right? And as Christians, you cannot go there. He's worthy regardless. And let me show you why. And I want to preface this because I did not get this from a commentary and my mind overthinks. So tonight, if I do not preface this, I'll probably overthink, be like, dude, I told lies. So I'm about to share something with you that I, I just picked up from the play, play on words in the NIV translation. I do not know the original Aramaic or Hebrew, okay? So if this is wrong, email Brittany Dunn um, at Relevant Life Church. She's the one who deals with all our disgruntled church members, okay? So <laughs> second, second would be Julie, okay? Anyway, so... When I sit here and I go, why on earth would they side with God? The only reasonable explanation for the response that I can think of is that they re- realize that regardless of their ending, the ending of this story on earth, their ending in eternity would be the same. Like, just think that through for a second. They recognize that regardless of how this story ended on earth, their ending in eternity would be the same. What do I mean? Let's look at the text real quick. Daniel 1.17 says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. Say able able to deliver us, okay? So in this statement, again, we've talked about this whole sermon, but just so you get it through your head, okay? This, in this moment, they are recognizing the absolute authority and ability of God Almighty to save them from this circumstance. But you can tell by the phrasing of their words, they cannot guarantee you he will, okay? Does that make sense? He is able to serve, but even if he doesn't. But notice that in this text, they do make a sure, confident statement, this, 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 con- this statement is like, we know God can, but we're not sure if he will. They make a statement that does not say God is able, but they will be delivered, okay? And that's when they tell, tell Nebuchadnezzar, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, God is able to deliver us. And then they make a completely separate statement. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And that begs a question. Why were they so, so confident that God could deliver them from King Nebuchadnezzar's hand? And why were they confident but not guaranteed the other one? And it's because they recognize whether they died by Nebuchadnezzar's hand and went to heaven or whether they, God saved them on this earth, either way, they would be delivered from Nebuchadnezzar because they were guaranteed eternity. See, and what I want you to get through your head today is that in your circumstance, you may say it's not fair. You may say, I don't understand. God, I thought you were good. And in that moment, I want you to back up and I want you to remember that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was sent down to earth in flesh. He was tortured to the point of dripping blood, uh, nailed to a cross where he died and he bought you the ultimate victory and overcome. He bought you the ability to stand in heaven one day free of your sin, to never face another difficult circumstance again with complete peace, knowing you will never die, that you will live forever in heaven. This is what these men realized. They were worshiping God because they recognized regardless of the outcome, he had already won them the ultimate outcome. And this is why Paul tells us in in Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, Paul and these men realize that this earth is not their home and that God had granted them access to eternity. So regardless of the hell their body on earth could be put through, they were guaranteed to be in heaven one day. 
And this is the response that we should have to our circumstance. I heard a pastor once say, if God never did another thing for you other than die on the cross, he still did enough. Because he bought your freedom. He gave you grace. He gave you hope. So if he never blessed you, if he never came through and let you get over a circumstance, he has already given you the ultimate victory. And he's worthy of our worship. So that takes me to my ending today. How should we respond to life's hardest circumstances? We should bow to the God who is in control of them. We should believe, we should opt out of feelings, and we should worship. We should bow. And I want you to think about the power of bowing. And I'm just speaking as a pastor and someone who leads worship a lot. And I'm not, in a way, I'm judging our, our community to a degree, but in a way, also, I've just recognized things have changed. Our community has always been a community of great and flamboyant worship. And over the last 18 months to two years, I feel like every week I see more of a stoic behavior in our, in our congregation as they worship. And yeah, that could be judging, but it's also me just assessing as a worship pastor, am I doing a successful job? And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, when you come in and you worship God, are you bowing or are you just keeping, as, keeping him as an option? Are you just going through the emotions or are you bowing to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Because if you can't do it in here, in a safe circumstance, you will not do it when hell and fire are facing you. And so today, I want to close, and I, I've wrestled with how I was going to close the sermon all week. And I want to give you an opportunity today to reflect on where you stand and whether or not you've been bowing to God. And I, again, some, of, some things come down to personal opinion and other things come down to just mere fact as you read what biblical worldview is. But right now, in our nation, Christians are not bowing to God. Most Christians are not bowing to God. Most Christians are bowing to whatever perceived American rights they believe they should have. And when they signed up to follow Jesus, they said, I'm, I'm letting go of all my rights, and I'm believing who you are. And so today, I want you to honestly assess, as you look at COVID, as you look at the situations you've been facing, as you've been disgruntled and maybe talking bad about the government, are you bowing to God or are you bowing to your circumstance? And so I want to just give a couple moments. Adam, will you dim the lights? Jason, we bring this guitar up too so everyone can hear it nice and loud. And I, want, I want you to just take a moment this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, have you been bowing to God or have you been bowing to man? Have you been bowing to God or have you been bowing to man? sing a song for you this morning and I struggled I like told Blake even before for service I may not sing this song and the reason being is because I don't want this moment to be about Trenton but I hopefully in me doing this I'm stepping out in faith believing I'm anointed and I believe that God can work through what I'm about to sing but on Monday morning last week I woke up I was asking why I was super tired and the bridge of a song that we do not sing here came into my head and I picked up my guitar and I started to sing it and I just started weeping complete just overwhelmed and I can't, I don't know how to describe what goes on my soul, in my soul all the time. Like, I just don't know if there's words to express. But there was a multitude of, of emotions that I was feeling. One of them was remorse and, and, and not even regret, but just humility to say, God, please forgive me. Because I've been bowing to everything but you. 
And the other one was just overcome with awe and, and, and recognition of the God that I served. And so I want to sing this song for you right now. And this song is a song called Gratitude. And it's talking about who our God is. And if you want to sit and close your eyes and listen to me sing the lyrics, that's fine. If you want to get down and bow at your chair, that's fine. But I want you to hopefully in this, in this moment assess your life and go, God, I give you back control. Oh, my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. But every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands, I praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. And this is the bridge that stuck out to me. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord.
And as I sang that song, again, I was overcome with tears. I felt in my heart at that point that I said, Jesus, I give you everything back again. doesn't matter what I'm facing. doesn't matter if I feel like doing what I know I'm supposed to do or not. I have a king that cares about me. I have a God that loves me, a God that's paid the price for me, God that's going to walk me through anything I face. And church, that's my challenge today. And so I, I know we have to close, but I just want to pray over you today. Those online, I want to pray over you as well. And I would just ask everyone to close their eyes today. And if you're someone who says, I've been struggling, bowing to the King of Kings, I'm facing hard circumstances, would you just raise your hand today? I would love to pray for you. I want you to know you're not alone. That God is in control. He loves and he cares for you. God, I just thank you today for who you are. God, I just thank you that today we stand, God, as broken and humble human beings, but we're guaranteed without a doubt that you love us despite our biggest um, frailments, God, our biggest doubts, God, our biggest desires and worries, God. And I just pray right now, God, that in each heart, God, that's hearing this message, God, that you would just change and challenge. God, we invite you to sit on the throne of our heart. God, I don't know how COVID's going to end. God, I don't know if we're ever going to get out of this mess or we're going to continue to find ourselves frustrated by it. But God, you've orchestrated it and allowed it for a reason, God, and we trust that you will work all things together for good. God, we're not going to let our feelings dictate how we act. God, we're going to stand in faith on the God who is in control. And we just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, everyone said church i love you i thank you today for putting up with me struggling through this message to a degree and i pray it's something that i pray continually but i pray that you walk out with a conviction and a burden in your heart because i know for me after i hear a message like this it's really easy to walk back out into life and forget the power of what was just said and so i pray for a burden that is six heavy on your heart that you feel deep on your heart god is in control and he loves you he cares for you and that even if the world says you're stupid and you don't make sense, you still are going to trust him because he's done the ultimate thing for you. So we love you, church. Again, thank you. Remember that if you want to come to South Campus, the, today is the last day there, so it will not be open until June 13th again. Um, I encourage you to sign up. Outflow is going to be announced here shortly, all these different things coming up. And I encourage you today to connect with someone on your way out. Don't walk life alone, but step into a relationship. We love you. We'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.